thought in this holiday season, Matthew chapter 22, I thought in this holiday season we'd be looking at uh, feast and holidays, and I learned the difference between supper and dinner in Scripture. There's four major weddings described in Scripture. Two of them in our Matthew, one's in Luke chapter 14, and one's in Revelations chapter 19. In the New Testament, there's several feasts in the Old Testament. But we're looking at one of those feasts today, again this Sunday, and we're looking at Jesus in the, the kingdom of heaven, and it's one of his parables. Now, you can always tell a parable in Scripture because it's identified as a parable. There shouldn't be any mystery about what you're reading, whether it's tr uh, truth based on a story or a story based on a truth, I should say, or if it actually has happened. Now, in chapter 22... We have Jesus answered and spake unto them, being the Pharisees and the people that were present there to hear him, them again by parables and said. Christ explains early in Scripture, in the New Testament anyways, he explains how he spoke in parables because it was more easily, to, it was easily to be interpreted in public and he wouldn't be censored, much like we're experiencing in this day and age, some absolute censorship in a free democracy. He says here, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Did you catch that? The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage feast for his son. If you're saved today and know Christ is your personal savior, you're on your way to a new kingdom. You're just passing through. And... Uh, you're being prepared for a new kingdom. And that kingdom is in heaven. And that kingdom is ruled in Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit are the, the Trinity which rule that kingdom. And sent forth his servants to call that they were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. That's verse 3. Again he sent forth. That's the first time. He has had prepared a feast. He's prepared a wedding. But he's likened it and that wedding, by the way, you can read about in Revelations chapter 19, about verse 7. It talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the Lamb comes and is bride to the church. And the church is the congregation of people that have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Again, he sent forth another servant in verse 4, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things that are ready come on to the marriage. So we have here a wedding feast, a marriage, in likeness of heaven. And we see the first time someone sent out in verse 3, they call them are bidden and the wedding, and they would not come. I can't tell you. I, t I think of, a, of a, a pastor I know. He told me we were having evangelistic services at the church. He told me, preacher, I got them ready. I went out and I called on several people and I says he says I hope they come that's a big problem we have people don't come to church in our area they're just not used to it and he said I had 32 people I opened up my bible invited them to church of course they said they would come and I opened up my bible and said would you swear on the bible that you'd come to church this Sunday 32 people swore that they would come, wrote their names down in his Bible on the side. Not a one of them showed. We're living in a day and age of apathy. It's nothing new to us as a people. 
Every time you study scripture and look into God's word, the more successful people become, the more affluent they become, the more civilized they become, the more cultured they become, the less and less time they take out for God. We've got our weddings and our feasts down to three hours. Been told that a wedding, and I do several, uh, weddings, three hours, that's just way too much time. You know, we kind of narrow everything down. You'll see that this wedding took place. It was seven days. Used to celebrate the good as well as the bad. Brother uh, Russell talked about in uh, Sunday school about how the week gets to pile up on you and how we get pressured through the week of all these different things. But yet Sunday we cash in and talk to God for an hour, 45 minutes. As my message may long be too long, let's see here, I got, there it is. We'll keep it short. But they made light of it and went their ways. Verse 4, again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready to come unto the marriage. Imagine this. He's butchered his oxen. That's plural. He's butchered several cattle. He's prepared for a great feast. Uh, you could liken verse 4 to the John chapter, oh, about 19 again, 22 at the latest, uh, about 20, where Christ himself came to this earth and prepared himself and sacrificed his blood on the cross for each one of us. The oxen was prepared. This is heaven they're talking about. Jesus Christ has come. There's a wedding feast is ready. But they made light of it and went their ways one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They made light of it. One to his property, one to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Need not go too long. We can go to the missionary board on the back of the church and you'll see instances uh, there. We've read them from the pulpit here of missionaries that have been spitefully used. Thinking of Brother Combs held at gunpoint, the last mission letter he sent here. Thinking of other missionaries that are spitefully used. We're living in this day and age now. The feast is prepared. Heaven's at hand. You need not to use your imagination much to know that the whole process is laid in place. In fact, if you listen really close, you can hear him set the silverware on the table for the feast right now talk about weather, we talk about wars, we talk about oil, we talk all those things. It's all done. The feast is there. Everyone is invited. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's been taken care of. The invitations are out. They've been out for nearly 2,000 years. Have you responded to your invitation? You see what we have here. So here was what takes place. The invitations go out, but the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Pretty rough. Now this is a picture also to be fair in the text. Christ was generally speaking to the Hebrew people. 
who rejected him. And if you read Romans chapter 10, you'll find out that they were the Hebrew people as a group of Jewish people. They rejected Christ. And because of their rejection, he offered his invitation to who? Us, the Gentiles. I don't see any Hebrews in here, or I don't know of anybody in this congregation that claims to be Hebrew people, but the invitation is open to all yet. And Hebrews can be saved as well as anybody else. But as the way course of things go, Jesus Christ said, the Jew first, then the Gentile. His people first, then the Gentile. We're getting the leftovers, so to speak. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies to destroy them. This will take place. There's an Armageddon ruin on the surface. One of the things of prophecy I could not understand for years and years was how Russia, the bear, and China, the dragon, were going to ever get together. They're having alliances formed right as we speak. Right as we speak. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Jews by birth were all invited. Go ye therefore into the highways. This is the third command for people to come. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. This is a great congregation, good people in these pews, both good and bad. No one's perfect. No one's good enough to get to heaven on their own. God invited us all. We're all equal in his eyes, despite our color, our history, our background, our ancestry, all those things. God counts us as worthy to his feast after the invitation. And when the king came to see the guest, he saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, friend, look at that friend. If you have your King James Bible open, verse 12, that friend is in capital letters, capital F. not just friend every one of us that were created by God is a friend of God as a child of the king to a degree to a degree he wants every one of us to come to heaven he wants every one of us regardless of our background our ancestry every everything gender gender identification he wants you to come to the feast he wants you to be in heaven Every one of us, we're a friend. He counts us as a friend. I always get a kick out of people. They got the welcome mat out and says, friends, welcome. And then they, we had one little lady. She slammed the door in our face. And then she come to the door a few minutes later. We were both kind of, oh, okay, you know, they slammed the door. That's kind of par for the course. Tell people about Jesus. She says, I'm sorry. She had tears in her eyes. She says, I'm a Jehovah Witness. And she says, I always just wanted to do that because <laughs> she had gotten the door slammed in her face many, many times as a testimony for Christ, her Christ, what she thought was the best and what she practiced. I commended her for practicing her faith and tried to encourage her to take on the proper practice for her faith. But uh, 
nothing unusual if you're doing something for Jesus to meet those kind of oppositions. And so Christ wants each and every one of us to come to him. The door is always open. How comest thou hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. That individual, as well as the Jehovah Witness I just spoke of, was God-fearing. We had a president the last few times. I'll get political. I don't see any problem with it. The last president we had was a God-fearing man. I cannot vouch and I will not judge his salvation. I can only judge his actions in relationship to me as an individual and his relationship to God, my Savior. He was God-fearing. The president we have now, whether you agree with his policies or what he does at, at best, he's not even in the right relationship with his church. Is he God-fearing? I'm not going to judge him. But God loves each president the same as he did the last. He loves each individual the same as he does the president. Ben, you're no more important in God's eyes than Billy Carter. You're no more important in God's eyes than Thomas Jefferson was. You and them, we all are equal in God's eyes. And we've all been invited to that feast. And we've all been told to have the garment. Now, what's, what's that about the garment? I thought the, well, I'll read the last little bit. And he said unto him, friend, how comest thou hither not having the wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, bind him and hand him foot and Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We use that to describe hell and what it's like, weeping and gnashing of teeth. How is it that this individual, who was equal as anybody else to be there, because he wasn't wearing the garment, was savagely, I think, just, just, just unrealistically thrown into hell. Well, you got to understand Hebrew culture. You got to understand the world culture. Just think for a minute and hold, hold, hold it for just a minute. The last wedding you were invited to, what did you wear? Your best, didn't you? Uh, the last wedding I was in. Oh no, I go back about three. Got had to wear a blue suit. Because everybody in the wedding plan, you know, all the people up front were all wearing pretty blue suits and the ladies had beautiful blue dresses and all this. That isn't something we do just to be stylish. That's our culture and our history. Whether you realize it or not, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, where Jesus Christ slew the lambs and made a garment to cover the sin in each individual's life. Blood was shed, innocent blood was shed to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Then you go to Jeremiah, where well, you go to Jeremiah in the book of Ezekiel, or in the book of, oh, I gotta write it down, it starts with a Z, it's over there in your Old Testament. It's Zechariah, chapter three, verses three and four. Is that, oh, let's go over there. Talking about that garment, talking about that wedding garment. Go to the Old Testament, and there's these, what they call the minor prophets, minor only in the size of their books, and uh, you go uh, 
Nehemiah, Obadiah, Amos, and Zechariah. It's just there. If you have a division in your old, between your Old and your New Testament in the book of Matthew, it's just a couple pages back. Malachi is the last of the minor prophets. Zechariah is right there in the middle. There's several of them right there in the middle. But you go to the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, and it talks about Joshua standing before the angels. And it says in verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away my filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with charge change of raiment. You get to heaven, what are you going to get? You read there in Revelations chapter 19 about new raiments. We'll all be clothed in white. We're studying uh, uh, Samson. And in Judges chapter 14, back to the historical value of why we wear new garments. Judges chapter 14, Samson's request to his father, he requests to his father, uh, I want to take this woman. I want to betroth this woman to this family's objections. But it's still, they go ahead and they have a feast. He's having a betrothal, and he stands before all these men there. And what do they argue about? What is one of the riddles of of Samson about? New garments. When you got invited into those weddings, even in the past historically, Everyone got, he, he slew 30 men for 30 new garments and 30 sheets, they call it, and 30 garments. You read all about it in Joshua chapter 14. Garments were issued by the family as part of the betrothal to the people that participated in the wedding feast. Historically, the Romans did it. The Hebrews did it. They still do it. And some of our culture and some of our areas, even today, those that serve in the wedding party get new suits. Very important part. Why? Because it identifies them with the ancestry of that party. This man who came to the wedding feast did not want to identify himself with those people on the streets that came in and took on the garment of salvation. They accepted Christ. They accepted his invitation. They accepted his offering. But this man says, I'm coming to the feast. I've been invited. I don't know about this Jesus thing. Let's all stand. Not a long, not a long message. I don't know what the Lord's going to work out in your life. But so-and-so shows up from Kansas. That's what was us most of the time. We ranched in Kansas for over 20 years. We, uh, I know what's going on in some of your homes. You're no different than anyone else. We are no different than anybody else. God knows what's going on in your homes. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ is a Savior, or do you know Christ as your Savior?